What frightens you? Snakes frighten any of you? Spiders, to some extent. Storms, thunderstorms, thunderstorms, tornado storms. Yeah, everybody. You need to move from Louisiana if those three things frighten you, correct? Because we are uh, infected or infested with all of those. What comforts you? Dead snakes and clear weather, right? That's a good thing about the drought last summer is you didn't worry about it flooding or tornadoes, did you, for four months, just the dust bowl. Well, obviously, things that frighten us can be different. Things that comfort us can be different. This evening in 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 4 through 11. I want us to look at some things that universally, not subjectively, but objectively should frighten us and some things that ought to comfort us. First part of this is pretty tough, so bear with me. We will end on a happy note, but this is in the Bible, and some of it's pretty bizarre, but it's very important. And here's the first thing, talking about the frightening. Sinfulness will be punished. That ought to frighten us, folks. That ought to get our attention. Now, the the primary thing that we're going to talk about here, it's talking about people who are lost. It's talking about people who do not have a relationship with God. But I want to remind you as a Christian, sin will be punished. Sin will be punished uh, in this lifetime. And if we die and we're not in a good place with God, even as a believer, we're going to go to heaven. But we're going to answer for our sinfulness. Sin will be punished. Number one, no matter who you are, sin will be punished. Again, the focus of this is be talking about the non-believer. Again, I think you can apply it as a Christian. Maybe this evening, tonight, you, you don't have a relationship with Christ. Maybe you assume you do, but you don't. Maybe you're pretty sure that you don't. This ought to frighten you, and it ought to frighten us for people that we love and we care about who are not believers. In verse 4, listen to this verse. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. That's a pretty spooky verse, isn't it? The angels here he's talking about are fallen angels. It's ta- and we'll talk about when this may have happened. The word sin is easy. It's missing the mark with God. And there's several ideas about this when he talks about, for God did not spare the angels when they sinned. Now, his point's going to be, if God didn't spare angels when they rebelled against him, who are we to think that he would spare us? Or that family member or friend that we believe just because they're a nice person or because they're our family member or friend, they're going to heaven, they're not going to be spared. What is he talking about? These angels in this gloomy part of hell tonight, what is he talking about? Well, there's three possible interpretations. The first is he's talking that's futuristic. He's talking about what lies ahead. I don't believe he's talking about that because I think he's talking about 2,000 years ago, something that was in the present then is in the, the current today. One of the other options is, is, you know, in Ezekiel chapter 28, it talks about when Satan fell, just real briefly, Bible tells us that before, I, before the world began, there was a battle in heaven. Uh, Satan, who was Lucifer, who was a top angel, 
got one-third of the angels of God to rebel against God, and they went to war with God, and they found out what you always find out. When you go to war with God, you lose every single time, and they were cast down to earth. Now, some people say that some of those demons immediately went into hell. Others of them were allowed to stay uh, in the supernatural realm and in the world where Satan is today. The third option is, it goes to Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis 6, you get into the flood story. And the flood story begins very bizarre where it talks about some type of being, whether it was an angelic being or some super powerful man, began to interbreed with women And there was a strange race of people developed, and then God said, enough is enough, and he destroyed the world. How many of you remember the Noah story? You can read that when you get home. And maybe some scholars believe that those were some of those angels, and that God said, enough at that point, you're going to hell. I'm not sure, but I believe it's one of those two things that, because we know even in the New Testament, we know today the devil's alive and active, and the devil has demons who are still alive and active. But some of them this evening, the Bible says, are in hell. Now, it's interesting. The word used for hell here is the word Tartarus. And uh, that's the Greek word. The New Testament is written in Greek. This is the only time in the New Testament this particular word was used to describe hell. Tartarus in Greek mythology was a place that Zeus, who was the head god put the titans who were half god, half men. And Greek mythology, Tartarus was a, uh, a subterranean, uh, deep, abysmal place where, in Greek mythology, where bad people went. Why is this the only place in the New Testament hell is described in this place? Uh, the word Gehenna is used in other places. Sheho is used in the the uh, Old Testament to describe hell. Hades is actually a neutral word, which divided in two places. Hades means place of the dead, a place we believe is paradise for the believers who've gone ahead, and Hades, the hell side of it. What is unique about this word? Why is this the, the, the only place in the New Testament this is found? Let me tell you what this word Tartarus means, the New Testament word means. It means a place where angels are confined to the final judgment. Isn't that interesting? Some scholars believe that it is a kin word to the word abyss, which is used in other places. You remember a story in Luke chapter 8? where there were demons that Jesus cast out of a man, and the demons begged Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. You remember that story? And Jesus put them in a a herd of pigs, and the pigs ran over the, uh, the cliff. The abyss is the bottomless pit. Isn't it interesting the demons were begging Jesus not to send them to the abyss? Some scholars believe it's tied in here. I love what Chuck Swindoll said about this word Tartarus. He said, this is the hellhole of hell. This is the deepest, darkest dungeon of hell where demons who rebelled against God thousands of years ago are this evening being held. Look how he describes it. And they're committed them to chains of gloomy, heavy darkness, cloudy darkness to be kept until the final judgment. Does that scare you a little bit? I mean, that is some, that is some weird stuff and, and some, some deep stuff. And, and here's the point for you and me. These angels saw the face of God, yet one-third of them rebelled against God. Some of them, obviously, are active, still alive on this earth. 
Others, the Bible says, are in the, the hell hole of hell, in the pit of hell, being held until the final judgment day. God's trying to make a point to say this to us, that if he didn't spare angels who rejected him, there's not a human he's going to spare either. This is in the Bible for a reason, correct, Amendo? Not to fill up space. It wasn't like Peter said, we need a couple more verses. Let's put something weird in there to get their attention. It was put in there to say that God loves you, but God's not going to spare you if you reject him and die in that state. For those of us who are Christians, it says to us, no matter who we are, or our families are, our friends are without Christ, they are lost. And God's not going to spare them either without Jesus Christ. That's a profound thought. And even as a Christian, I think about this, my sinfulness will find me out. If God didn't spare angels, God's not going to spare me. I'm not going to lose my salvation, but I will answer to God. Let me give you a second part of this. No matter how many people are involved, our sins will be punished. No matter how widespread it is. In verse 5, it says, if he did not spare the ancient world... But he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. He's talking about punishing sin. And he says, angels who rebelled were not spared. A whole world that rebelled was not spared. One righteous man. Look, Noah's family, as far as we know, doesn't say anything about their righteousness. They got in because of Papa. How many people were on the earth during Noah's time? I grew up in Bible school thinking there was probably about 15. <laughs> really? I mean, that's what you think of. There's Noah's family and the Smiths and the Jones and the Craigs over here, and all of them didn't make it, but there were, there were millions of people. I've heard one scholar say maybe a billion people. We don't, obviously, we don't know, but there were many. In verse 6, look what he says. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. He's talking about false prophets in this chapter, but he's talking about ungodly period, people who do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I think this is so profound when he talks about that here's how serious God looks at our sin. That when it became judgment time, God didn't spare the world. He gave them plenty of time to repent, but they didn't. He didn't spare them. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah didn't spare them. Why were Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? Why was the world destroyed in Noah's time? I saw somebody trying to argue a few years ago online on the Internet about Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, they just they, they charged high interest rates. I said, you've got to be kidding. I don't know what they were drinking, but it was powerful. You know why God destroyed the world of Noah's day and why he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Immorality, homosexuality, adultery, fornication. It's interesting in the Noah's section, it talks about violence. It talks about violence in the world. Does that sound familiar? When you were in first grade, you believed this, and many of us believe it now. If everybody else is doing it, it's going to be kind of okay. And the pressure in our world today in the United States of America more and more and more is everybody else is saying it's okay. Am I right? And, and, and 
Politicians say things are okay. That must make it okay. Well, most of us would say, well, hopefully we wouldn't buy into that. But the majority of people are beginning to say things are okay. The federal courts say things are okay. Churches and denominations are beginning to say things are okay. You know what this passage tells us? It doesn't matter if the whole world says God is wrong, God is right. And that God's going to punish sin. Do y'all know who Madonna is? I think you do. Madonna, uh, we have a picture of Madonna. Good. When you get a picture of Madonna for church, you have to, you have to screen it first. <laughs> Listen to this quote from Madonna. You're going to die when you, I hope not. But this was a few years ago. Madonna has kind of had a religious turn, not to Christ, but she's in, been into Judaism and mysticism. Listen to what Madonna said a few years ago about our world. People are going to go to hell if they don't turn from their wicked behavior. Can you say amen, Madonna? <laughs> Do you ever think you'd say that in a church? Wow, but she's right, isn't she? See, the Bible says God is going to punish sinfulness. That is frightening. It should frighten us. If it's, you're a Christian, I'll scare you straight from the consequences that can happen. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, it ought to scare you to Christ tonight. I love hearing people say you shouldn't try to scare somebody to Jesus. Show me a wrong reason for someone to get saved. If it takes, if it takes fear, if it takes love, you want to bring people to Christ. But here's the last thing I just want to say to, about this. Never forget this. Never forget this. Never forget sinfulness will be punished. In verse 9, listen to what he says. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You're going to be happy. It's going to be ice cream and cake. But he also knows how to keep the unrighteous, unrighteous, the ungodly, the people who don't have a relationship with him, under punishment until the final judgment. God knows is what it says. God understands. God knows how to deal with fallen angels who rebelled against him. God knows how to deal with the false prophets. We'll see a little bit more about that next week. Who say one thing, who sell Jesus for money and who use people and twist the scriptures for their own benefit. God knows how to deal with those people. But God knows how to deal with me and God knows how to deal with you. In verse 10, it says, In these especially people who indulge in the lust of defiling passions, they despise authority, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Wow. God's saying here, folks, this is a little complicated, but when we die, I believe with all my heart, if you're a believer, you're going to go in the presence of Jesus. Whether that's the final heaven or whether that's not, we call it paradise. To me, when you die, that's going to be awesome. A lot of people believe that when you die without Christ, you're going straight to hell. That may not be the final hell, but what the Bible is saying here for the wicked, God knows how to make sure when the day comes that judgment, final judgment's going to happen or that final reward's going to happen. Listen to the characteristics he gives here. These are false prophets But, folks, these aren't just false prophets. I want to tell you, these are people that you and I know, maybe it's you. Some of these things would be all of us. Sexual immorality, despise and disdain authority, bold and willful. 
audacious, daring, even slandering the name of God. Listen to to a description uh, of these people, the people you know and I know. Cocky. See if any of these fit you. Defiant, indulgent, lustful, greedy, slanderous, not leadable. You know, one of the things that bothers me about our country today is a lack of respect for authority. I was way too little in the 60s to remember it, but to me it's been worse in the last five years than it's been in my lifetime. And it's not okay to disrespect authority. It's not okay to disrespect the people that God has put to lead us in, in our lives. If they're wrong, absolutely, you stand up for truth and what's right. But these are signs of a heart that's not right with God. And I think it's so important and it's so telling for you and I to never lose sight, never let the fear of what happens, even when a Christian lets sin run their life, it's going to ruin your life. I know this isn't popular. I know it's not pretty. It's not nice to tell people that if you don't know Christ, you're going to hell. It's not nice to tell people your family members or your friends, if they don't know Christ, they're going to hell. But you know what? It is the truth. It's the truth of the Bible. Everybody in here knows Willie Nelson. Did you know Willie Nelson actually taught Sunday school at a Baptist church at one time? How many of you knew that? Did you know that? Mike Hilton. Mike Hilton was in his class. Willie Nelson taught something. Wouldn't you like to have gone to Willie's class? Hopefully he wasn't smoking the funny cigarettes before he taught class. I think he was, though. Willie was asked not to teach anymore by his church when he began to see that he did not like the doctrine of hell. He just didn't like what happened, what the Bible taught about hell. And as he read, he discovered he liked the idea of reincarnation instead of hell. That instead of going to hell if you're bad when you die or you're lost, that you'll be reincarnated and you get to keep coming back until you get it right. I think Willie's coming back again, isn't he? God doesn't give me the choice of writing the book. I don't mean to be ugly. He didn't give you the choice either. I I know it's not popular. It's not nice. But how important will it be for you and I to live with a little bit of fear that God will punish sinfulness? Always has and always will. Punished angels. Punish the world. Punish cities. That means Rustin, the United States, and you and me better be on our toes. Now, let's take the positive side of this, the comforting. God is going to take care of the righteous. Isn't that good? Now, here's the real positive. If you're not righteous tonight, you can leave righteous tonight. Not self-righteous, not righteous in your own eyes or by your own standards. Righteous means right with God, having a right relationship with God. And that's the, the, this is the neat thing in this passage. God has just hammered people. Here's what he says next. God sees the one righteous in the crowd. That if you're in a crowd of a billion people and you're right with Christ and trying to live for Christ, here's the neatest thing. God sees you. In verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the, on the world. Think about this. 
If there was, just if there were 100 million people, 10 million people, God saw Noah. Isn't that great? And sometimes you go, man, does anybody know that I'm trying to live for Jesus, that I'm trying to be right with God, I'm trying to do right? I want to tell you, the one that matters does. The one that matters does. And in verse 7 and 8, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, as for the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. God destroyed this, these two cities, but he spared the righteous person. It's interesting. It says in verse 7, he was greatly distressed by what he saw. That means he was worn out by the junk all around him. I want to ask you this evening, does, does sinful stuff still bother you? We had several years ago, Jawaine Blue come and speak here. Jawaine's wife, Iris, was supposed to come, but she was sick, and hopefully we'll have them back here someday. I, Iris, I remember her saying this one time. She was a prostitute. She spent eight years in prison. Uh, kind of a rough girl, you would say, who got saved. Iris said that she notices her walk with Christ is struggling when she doesn't blush anymore. Can, can you watch... Trash TV, trash movies, God's name taken in vain, rampant immorality, and it doesn't bother you? Can you listen to people take God's name in vain and be vulgar and vile and not bother you? Apathy towards sin either means you don't have a relationship with the Savior or your relationship has grown cold. Did you get that? Let me repeat that. When, you're, when we're apathetic towards sin, that means we don't know the Savior, our, our relationship has grown cold. It's neat, it says about Lot, recognized by God, that the sinfulness of those around him bothered him. But I want to go back to the positive side of this again. Where you work, where you live, God forbid, hopefully not your church, but other places where you may be a lone wolf of righteousness, you don't ever forget the Lord God sees you. The Lord God sees you. And not only that, God will take care of the righteous. This passage assures us not only does God see us, the Bible says God will punish sin, but God takes care of the righteous. In verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. The word trials there, depending on the context, it can mean a test from God to test our commitment, or it can mean a temptation to sin. Obviously, here it means something negative. It means tempted to, to sin or do wrong. Listen to what this passage is saying. God not only sees you, you keep your hand in God. God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of you here on this earth. God's going to take care of you when you leave this earth. America may flip upside down. You stay right with God. God's eyes will still be on you. Isn't that great? And not only that, no matter what happens to those around us, if we belong to God, God is going to take care of his own. And the last thing I want to tell you, God and the godly win in the end. Isn't that great? We win in the end. You're in a game that's for real, and it's a high-stake game. But how exciting to know that if you belong to Christ, you, you've already won. You can get disqualified. You can have to sit on the bench. Or you can stay in the game 
and enjoy the game, even though it's going to be tough, and know that we win in the end. Several years ago, there was a, a minister. He wasn't a, a, really a preacher. He was a writer, and he was a critic is what he was. And he was criticizing pastors. And I'm not talking about people who go to the extreme. But he was criticizing pe- pastors who are, are preach positive messages. To him, everything should be mean, ugly, and And I saw him interviewed, and I mean, he was like snarled up. I mean, he was mad for the Messiah. He was holy and unhappy. I mean, he was the kind of guy you would want nothing to do with in real life. And, and, the, and the guy interviewing him was another, was a, pastor, a Baptist pastor. And he asked him, he goes, don't you think the Bible has some positive things in it? He goes, have you read the book of Revelation? It's got a lot of negative things in it. I was just a young Christian, and I thought, hmm, I think we do. You know, at the end, it ends up okay. And shortly after that, I was in a class, and the professor came in, and he had talked to one of his friends who was a professor, and he said, I just got some encouragement from Dr. Vaughn. He said, Dr. Vaughn read the book of Revelation last night. And I thought, if I read four chapters a night, I give myself a star. This professor went home and read all 22 chapters. And he said, Dr. Vaughn said, you know what? We win in the end. <laughs> there's hope. Man, there's problems. Sin and sinfulness always has a high price, but we win in the end. So what do we need to do this evening? If you are not right with Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you're unsure of that, you need to come this evening and give your life to Jesus. Because the, the price is super high. You need to do that this evening. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We'd love for you to. And one way you can do it is when we stand, you can come and do that. Maybe as a Christian tonight, you need to get things back in order with Christ. Maybe you want to come and pray for somebody who is in a precarious position spiritually. Whatever you need to do, maybe it's just rejoice that God sees you and God's going to take care of you. Let's stand and let's do it this evening.